fine nation. And even with all of our faults and our flaws, it's still the best place on planet Earth. And I thank God for every man and woman that did give their life so that I could stand up here in this pulpit today and preach the Word of God. It was the sacrifice that they made that made it possible for me to stand up here and proclaim God's Word. And I appreciate that. Thank you to the American soldier. And thank God for His grace. We're in the book of Daniel, chapter 6. And here lately I've been on a kick of alliteration, and so the title of my message is Lockjaw in the Lion's Den. This is a, uh, this is always a check. Whenever you have a passage of scripture that is just so familiar to everyone, it's always a little bit challenging because probably everybody in here, uh, well I say everybody, the majority of you have heard about Daniel in the lion's den at some point. Uh, but perhaps you may see something today, glean some insight that, that you've not had before. But I'm not here to be insightful, I'm just here to preach God's word and uh, and we're going to have a good time today in the Word of God. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the precious Word of God. I thank you for this country. Thank you for this church. And I thank you for uh, the members of this church. I thank you for the guests that we have here today. I thank you for those who are listening on the FM transmitter and those who are watching on Facebook and YouTube. And I pray, God, that your Word of God would run swiftly, that it would go forth that it would be like a hammer, and that it would also be like a, a healing balm for those that need healing. And Lord, may we be changed. And Father, I ask that today my preaching would not be with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that people's faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So let me preach with deep conviction, with anointing, with boldness, and with truth. I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. And all God's people said... Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 6. So uh, we're going to begin with verse 1. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. If you want to go ahead and go to that first slide, we can. I'm reading here. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should receive no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king sought to set him over the, whole over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion for fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault in him. That's a marvelous statement. Doesn't mean he was sinless, but as far as his duties were concerned, there was no charge against him. Verse 5. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, and thus said unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. You notice now we've got a different empire, so instead of a fiery furnace, we've got a den of lions. 
Now, the Persians had this thing with fire. I'm not going to get into it, but, uh, but they, they, they preferred method of punishment was uh, the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. That phrase will become significant to us. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. And we'll stop there. Look at this. First of all, we realize that uh, Babylon has now fallen. And the, the Medo-Persian Empire is now uh, the ruling power. Now, even though the Persian Empire was, uh, was vastly bigger than the Babylonian Empire, it was inferior in certain respects. If you remember in King Nebuchadnezzar's vision in chapter 2, that he saw this monstrous image, and there was a head of gold, and then after that uh, was the silver, the arms and the chest of silver. And if you remember from Daniel chapter 2, the Bible says that this kingdom would be inferior to the kingdom of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And we see that here. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute uh, authority. Uh, we, read that, we read about that in the last chapter. It says, whomsoever he would, he spared, and whomsoever he would, he, he killed. That was his favorite phrase, if you remember. Uh, anybody that crossed Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I will uh, cut you up in pieces and I'll turn your house into an outhouse. That was, you know, that's not King James, but he said, I'll turn your house into a dunghill. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't take a vote on things. You know, he didn't have a suggestion box. Uh, he, he was an absolute authority. But what we'll see here is Darius, uh, he has a, a kingdom, but it's inferior to that of Nebuchadnezzar. He is subject to the governing authorities. He's subject to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which you'll see three times in this particular passage. It makes the Holy Spirit makes the point to say that the, the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be altered. Even the king cannot overturn uh, the law. And so this kingdom is in fear. Now, a word about Darius. Uh, Darius is kind of a shadowy figure as far as history is concerned. Not a whole lot said about him. We read mostly about Cyrus, who is the king of the, uh, the Persian Empire. Uh, there are some who believe that Darius and Cyrus were the same person. I don't, I don't subscribe to that theory. Uh, we're not going to have a, a documentary about Darius here this morning. But uh, just, just so you know, there, there are certain uh, schools of thought. And uh, Herodotus, who's a historian, and Josephus both say that Darius was not a proper name, but it was a title uh, like Caesar or uh, Pharaoh. And uh, I think Darius means holder of the scepter, something of that nature. But there were several men who went by the title of Darius. And so uh, I believe, uh, and if you're interested in, in research, researching it more, I believe that he was one of uh, Cyrus's generals named Gabaru. Now, if you'll notice, uh, just a little nugget here, and then we'll move on from Darius. Notice at the end of chapter 5, verse 31, it says, Darius the Mede, he took the kingdom. And it says he was, uh, King James says, three score and two, 62 years old. That's interesting. You know, the Bible doesn't even tell us how old Daniel is. Didn't tell us how old Nebuchadnezzar. Doesn't tell us how old Azariah uh, uh, and you know, the other guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I forgot their Hebrew names real quick. But the Bible didn't tell us their names. Why does it tell us the name of Darius the Mede? Well, if you, if you do some research, and archaeological research has determined that this man, Gabaru, who was a, uh, a governor... Uh, under Cyrus, he was a general, and he was appointed. Daniel chapter 9 says that Darius was appointed. He was appointed the governor, so that means he was, somebody was bigger than him. But Gabaru, 
uh, was born, according to archaeological evidence, in 601 B.C. Babylon fell in 539 B.C., which would make Gabaru exactly 62 years old. So God's word is, is true regardless of what secular history says. And like a, a, one of my favorite preachers says, if you'll just sit tight and be patient, eventually history will catch up with the Bible. God's word is true. All right, so let's get into this thing now. So there's a new government, and there's a new administration, and they're concerned about unifying uh, the government. You know, you got a new empire, new, new subjects, and so we probably want to unify the country. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar tried to do this too. You know, that was what the whole uh, golden image was about. He's trying to unify one world religion, uh, one, one world government. Same kind of thing is going on here. Now notice in verse 2 that, uh, that Daniel was one of, three prime, one of three presidents. I think some translations say satraps or something like that. But anyway, there's this form of government here, and they're divided, these 120 princes, and three over them. And, uh, and notice in verse 3, well, at the end of verse 2, it says that the king should have no damage. And so uh, Darius is concerned that he's getting the revenue that he deserves because the graft is ever-present. Uh, it's always a temptation for, for politicians to misappropriate funds. I know that's hard for you to believe, isn't it? But, uh, but that, you know, that's been a universal problem. The Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. And so Darius is concerned about, you know, that he's going to get uh, the proper taxes and that the subjects are, are loyal to him. And there's no uprisings or rebellions and that kind of thing. And, uh, and so in verse 3, it says, Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes. And it says again that there's an excellent spirit in him. You know, Daniel, Daniel is, we're not told how old he is, but just using uh, deductive reasoning, we can, we can figure out he's probably in his 80s. Probably when we heard the first story about Daniel in the lion's den, we picture him as this young man in, in the lion's den, but he's actually this old guy. Uh, and he's 80-something years old. And now, and notice it says uh, that, that Darius, at the end of verse 3, that Darius's intention was to make Daniel the prime minister over Babylon. It, here's this guy. He's just steady as a rock, isn't he? You know, we've got 70 years, roughly, that have transpired. And, you know, we've got Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, now Darius, and then we'll have Cyrus eventually. And where is Daniel? He always rises to the top, doesn't he? You, know, you can't keep God's people down. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll lift you up. And, and here we see that principle at work with, the, with Daniel. He's distinguished himself uh, because of his, uh, his relationship with God. And so uh, Darius wants to make him the prime minister over the whole region. So everybody's going to be happy about that, right? Because Daniel's a good guy. What happened? Well, the, his, his friends were jealous. Then, notice it says then. There's a cause and effect relationship, verse 4. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no fault in him. Uh, I'm just going to tease you with this. We'll talk about it at the end of the message. We're look, whenever you read the Old Testament, look for Jesus in the Old Testament. Okay, Just, just a little teaser there. They could find no fault in him, for he was faithful. Neither was there er any error or fault in him. Doesn't mean that he was sinless, like Christ. But as far as his job, his duties were, were concerned, uh, as far as his uh, reputation as a citizen, he was just a good guy. I mean, he was just uh, blameless. 
And verse 5 says, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, I don't know about you, but I would probably never run for public office. And one of the main reasons is, is, you know, I don't have any desire for that kind of thing. But number two, I wouldn't want every bit of my dirty laundry to be dug up. You, you see it every election cycle, right? And I'm talking Republicans and Democrats. They all sling mud. And, uh, you know, I don't care if this guy's 60 or 70 years old. They'll come up with something that he did when he was 15 years old. You know, back in, when he was 15 years old, you know, he attended a, a Halloween party somewhere, and he dressed up as Count Dracula. Ooh! <laughs> the horror! And, and so, but imagine this. Daniel lives his life in such a way that they can't find any occasion against him. The only way that they were going to be able to have anything against Daniel was concerning the law of his God. It's amazing. That was the only way they were going to be able to get Daniel. I wonder if, if our Christian walk was the only thing that would, you know, condemn us. I wonder if there'd be enough evidence to convict us. If that was the only thing that we had. But, you know, that's the very, your conviction is the very point of persecution that the enemy will bring against you. Is you're, you're, you're holding your fast to your convictions. You've seen it on the job if you've ever worked public work. If you're a person that's prompt and you're, uh, you're attentive in your, uh, your duties and you're there when, you know, when you're supposed to be, the guys that are late all the time will despise you because you're casting them in a negative light simply by being uh, punctual yourself. And so what they did is they assembled to the king and they said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. You know, we, we hear this greeting over and over, this typical greeting here. And they said, all the prince, notice they tell a lie here. They said, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the captains have consulted together. Is that true? Somebody's missing. The prime minister's missing. And you wonder why Darius didn't say, hey, what does Daniel feel? You know, what does Daniel think about this? But um, well, I'll just leave it at that. So they come up with this plan. And this is going to stoke his ego. We got an idea here, Darius. How about for 30 days, you're God? Would you take that deal? If you were lost, you probably would. If you didn't believe in the Lord. For 30 days, nobody can pray to anybody but you. You're the man. And I guess it was, you know, it was short enough to where they could deal with it, but long enough to where they could get Daniel, because they knew there's no way he could go 30 days without praying. But, uh, but Darius, he's listening to this, and they're stoking his ego, and he thinks, you know, that does sound pretty good. It's a good way to unify the kingdom, too. Just, I'll just be God for 30 days. And so he, uh, he hastily signs the decree, and they, they push him on this because they, they understand that once he sets the law in place that it cannot be altered. Now, one of the things they believed was the divine right of kings. This was not unique to the Persian or the Mede Empire. Uh, a lot of emperors, they believed that the king himself was a, a divine uh, a sovereign. We see that in Pharaoh. We see that uh, in, in Nebuchadnezzar tried it too. But, and, uh, and if you're a god, if you're a god and you make a law, well, it would stand to reason that you can't 
you can't overturn it, right? Because if you're God, you can't be wrong. And so they think that they've got him. They think they've got an ironclad case to get Daniel in the lion's den. And they convinced him to sign the decree. Let's go on to the next slide. Here we see Daniel, verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. And he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Important phrase, as he did aforetime. I think some translations will say as was his custom. This, is, this was not new for Daniel. This was a pattern of life for Daniel. Now, some people get lion's den religion. We saw that at September the 11th. Remember how the churches were all filled after that, that following Sunday? A lot of people have got uh, lion's den religion. When, whenever there's a crisis, they'll start to pray. Or maybe in response, there'll be a rebellion. This is not Daniel being a rebel against Darius. This is Daniel doing what he did every day. This was his manner of life. This was not some knee-jerk reaction to the decree. Now, this was in response to something Solomon did in 1 Kings 8.30 uh, when Solomon was dedicating the temple of the Lord. And he says, And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Now, why is this so significant? Well, if you know anything about history, you know that by this point, there is no temple. Not only has the city been destroyed, Jerusalem has been destroyed, but the very symbol of the presence of God, which in their day was the temple, where the Shekinah glory of God, and on this occasion that Solomon prayed this prayer, you know that the glory of God filled that temple, the Shekinah glory of Yahweh. But now the temple's gone. But Daniel, by faith, is still praying toward Jerusalem because he's read Jeremiah. We'll read about that later on. And he, he notices in Jeremiah's prophecy that 70 years are determined and that they're going to return. And so by faith, you can take Daniel out of Jerusalem, but you can't take Jerusalem out of Daniel. Jesus said, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. We're citizens of another country. Our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. I'm an American citizen, but I'm also a citizen of the New Jerusalem. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we have a kingdom, the Bible says, a kingdom which cannot be moved. We're, we're going to be a part of that great kingdom of God. Also, it says that he prayed three times. It says evening, morning, and noon. That, that's reminiscent of Psalm 55, 17. I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Now, I don't want to throw any legalism on you here this morning. But I wonder what would happen in our lives if we would begin to develop holy habits. And we would do like Daniel. We would begin to pray in the morning, in midday, and at the end of the day. wonder what would happen. wonder what would happen if we would start reading our Bible every day instead of just when we come in on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. How would we be transformed? I wonder. I believe that God would do some great things in our life. I believe that we would see some change. I believe that we would replace some defeat with some victory that some depression would lift off, that some joy would come, that some, some power would come where there's been weakness, holy habits. You say, well, I'm too busy to pray. 
Well, think about this. Here's an 80-year-old Daniel who's the prime minister of Babylon. But he's still got time to pray three times a day. What's our excuse? I don't want you to do this right now. And I know since I told you not to do it, you'll do it anyway. Um, but if you've got one of these devices here, especially the iPhone, I'm sure the, the, uh, the other uh, models will do the same thing. It'll tell you how much time a day you spend on your phone. It'll show you your screen time. <laughs> now, I want you to do this when you get home, not right now. Look at how much time you spend on your phone every day, and then come back and tell me why you don't have time to pray. Because we all do. And I'm talking to myself here, too. Paul's told the Philippian believers, he says, don't be anxious for anything. But, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Notice that Daniel not only prayed three times, but he kneeled upon his knees and he gave thanks. Now again, I'm not trying to throw legalism on you, but I think it might be a good idea. There's no, uh, there's no mandated way to pray. We can pray standing, we can pray walking, we can pray driving, and if you're going to drive, you better pray. <laughs> but uh, I do some of my best praying when I'm driving, but <clears throat> do some of my best cussing too. I'm just kidding. Do some of my best praying when I'm driving. But, but I believe that every once in a while, we ought to make it a habit to get down on our knees or maybe to prostrate ourselves before the Lord as a symbol of humility. God, you're God, and I'm not. I humble myself before you. What does Paul say to the Philippians? He says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything, and you'll replace those things. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, we're told in verse 17 to pray without ceasing. Now, I don't think that means to go around all the time chanting. Uh, I used to go to church with a lady. This has been many years ago, and she's probably going on to be with the Lord now. But she would sit through the church service, and the whole time the preacher was preaching, she would mutter a prayer. And it was so distracting, I couldn't listen to the preacher. But she thought that she was doing, you know, obeying the Word of God, pray without ceasing. I don't think that's what the Bible means. Jesus, as a matter of fact, said that we're not going to be heard for our much speaking that we're not to use vain repetitions in the babble. He said, your father already knows what you have need of before you ask him. Prayer is not a briefing. It's not an intelligence briefing. Hey, God, I just want you to know what's going on up here. And God said, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for letting me know. No, prayer is communication with God. And it's like Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you may not have ever heard of him. Um, and I'm not here to endorse his ministry, but God did do some, some great things through him. And he said, you know, I, I seldom pray for more than a half an hour, but I hardly ever go more than half an hour without praying. So uh, instead of it being just a legalistic thing, let it become a holy habit. All right, let's go to the next slide. Then the men assembled, verse 11, found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Sounds to me like they're stalking the guy. Because he's in his house. He's not, he's not praying in a public square somewhere trying to grandstand and, uh, and, and make some, some big ado. <clears throat> they came near and spake concerning the king, before the king, concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or any man for 30 days except of you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Doesn't this sound so reminiscent of the astrologers and the soothsayers coming to Nebuchadnezzar about throwing the three Hebrew boys into the fiery furnace? It's the exact same thing. They published, they, they, they stoked Nebuchadnezzar's ego to make a hasty decree, and they, now they've stoked Darius, 
his ego to make a hasty decree. By the way, uh, Daniel's chapters 2 through 7, they're written in Aramaic, and they outline or chronicle what the Bible refers to as the times of the Gentiles. And they have what's called a chiastic structure. In other words, chapter 2 and chapter 7 are very similar. Both deal with the vision, uh, the, the various empires. Chapters 3 and chapter 6 are similar. In chapter 3, you have uh, the Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. In chapter 6, you have Daniel uh, in the lion's den. Chapters 4 and 5, you have King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who has, the, he has a revelation from God. He's humbled, but then he's restored. But in chapter 5, you have Belshazzar, who's the king, who's humbled and he's destroyed. So there's a chiastic structure there. But it's very reminiscent. We see the, the, here again, we see the integrated design of the Bible and uh, the superintending uh, power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is a document written by an author outside of time and space. Uh, the more I read, the more I'm convinced that the Bible is indeed the very word of God. Now, again, they reminded me of verse 12. They said, look, you know, you're, you're a God, Darius, and, and now you've made a law, and it cannot be altered. It's the second time we've talked about this. The king answered, and they said before the king, now notice, notice their condescension in verse 13. It says, that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah. Do, do you hear the racial overtones here? They're, 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 they're displaying their racism. Now, he's not just one of the captives of Judah, is he? He's the prime minister of Babylon, or at least he's, you know, he's in line to become the prime minister of Babylon. So I believe that there's a couple of things going on here. There's racism, for one, but also there's ageism. These guys probably can't stand the fact that this 80-year-old man is over them, and he's a goody-two-shoes in their eyes, and he's going to foil their plot to steal from uh, Darius. You know, they've got a good thing going. They've got a little enterprise going, and uh, Daniel's a threat to them. You know, age discrimination is a real thing, but I'm going to tell you what. I don't care how old you are. God's got you here for a reason, and I don't care if you're 80 years old or 90 years old. God can use you, and the reason you're still here is because the Lord's not through with you, and you might not be able to uh, traverse the world over and preach the gospel, but you, you can still pray, and you can still intercede, and you can still read your Bible and speak forth the word of God. And they said, this Daniel, he does not regard you, O king. Now, that's a lie. Daniel didn't do anything against Darius. He's just worshiping God. And he makes his petition three times a day. I guess they had been spying on him all day long, right? They knew three times. He had prayed. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. Do you see that? <laughs> it's a little contrast between him and Nebuchadnezzar. You know, how many times do we read Nebuchadnezzar? He's filled with fury. He's ready to kill somebody. But Darius, he's upset with who? Himself. Says a little something about his nature. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him and labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. I can imagine, if we were to put it in a modern context, that Darius has got every lawyer he can <laughs> scouring the books to see if there's any loophole to get Daniel off. Because he loves him. He set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. What, what I also find very interesting in these stories is that God brought Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar into an intimate friendship. Most people, uh, I think the Talmud, the Talmud, which is the rabbi's commentary, the Talmud says that for the seven years that Nebuchadnezzar was, you know, in a beastly form, he's convalescing, that Daniel took care of him. Uh, that they were friends, you know, and you get that, 
you see that in Scripture. And I believe that Darius and Daniel had the same kind of relationship, and I believe it was founded upon a mutual respect. You know, you can respect those that you disagree with. How many of you have heard that expression? You know, you may disagree with the man, but you respect the office. And that goes for, that goes for any office. The powers that be are ordained of God. <clears throat> then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. He tried to deliver him from the going down of the sun. Not only did he like Daniel, but Daniel was an asset to him. You know, he's counting on Daniel to get rid of the corruption in the empire. Then these men assembled unto the king, and they said unto the king, verse 15, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. Notice here again the third time. They keep pressing this point home. That the law cannot be changed. Darius, you're a god. You can't go back on your word. So now he's, he's stuck. And so the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him to the den of lions. I can't really speak particularly about it, but I'm told that these particular dens, that there was like a wall, there was like a petition, uh, and they would let down the petition so that they could feed the lions and do whatever they had to do. And then, but they lowered Daniel into this pit. <clears throat> and notice what he says. Daniel said, the king said unto Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, I don't know how much Darius believed this or not, or if he was just doing the best he could. Sometimes we just do the best we can, don't we? Like the man that came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You ever prayed an honest prayer like that? <laughs> like, God, I'm believing you, but I, but I still got a little doubt here, and you know that, but I'm doing the best I can, and God can deal with honesty. Your God, he will deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Now here's an 80-year-old guy and they, they got this thing sealed. They got this, this stone sealed and uh, we could conjecture about some things here but I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Then the king went to his palace and he passed the night fasting. Neither were the instruments of music brought before him and his sleep broke from him amazing now we're not told how Daniel slept you've probably all heard preachers talk about how Daniel slept like a baby and he used the lion's mane like a pillow I don't know I don't know if that's how it went down or not but I know one thing Darius spent the night sleepless interesting in chapter 1 remember Daniel refused to eat the king's food he was the one who's abstaining from food but now Darius is not going to eat. And guess who else is going on a diet? The lions. They're not going to eat. And, and some will say, well, they just were not very hungry that night. <laughs> we'll dispel that myth here shortly. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. Next slide, please. Then the king rose very early in the morning, verse 19, and went in haste into the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. I wonder what that sounded like. I don't know. Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, Why the heck did you throw me in this lion's den? <laughs> I thought we were friends. 
That's not what Daniel said, is it? You know, the, you know the, summary, the reason some people don't take us seriously is because our attitude stinks. Even Daniel spent the night in the lion's den. He still got a good attitude. He said, oh, king, live forever. I don't know what he was thinking in his heart, but at least that's what he said. <laughs> oh, king, live forever. Verse 22. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths. Now, we're left to, you know, we're left to imagine how that happened. We don't know. Was it the Shekinah glory of God? I'm told that lions are kind of afraid of fire. Uh, did, did the angel come through and, you know, touch their lips or something? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened. But we do know that there was an angelic messenger that was dispatched. Much like in chapter 3, when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, there's what? There's a fourth man in the fire. And, we, and, and, and most people believe it was a theophany. We, we can't say for certain. But, but anyway, there was some messenger of God that was dispatched to deliver them. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before you, O king, I have done no hurt. God has vindicated him. Verse 23, Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the lion's den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and notice this phrase, No manner of hurt was found upon him. Do you see that in your Bible? Remember what it was said of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I hope I don't have to say their names anymore today. I, I, I stumble on it every time. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their three Hebrew names. Remember when they came out? Remember what it said of them? It says, not a hair of them was singed, neither did they smell like smoke. Same thing with Daniel. Daniel didn't just come out with his, you know, all tattered and torn and roughed up and bruised and battered. I mean, shucks, I've got a cat that just at home, and he'd tear my arms to shreds. Little kitty cat. Thanks a lot, Lori. <laughs> the things we do for marriage. But Daniel doesn't have a scratch on him. And those of you who have kitty cats, you know what I'm talking about. Even though they love you, they'll just tear you to shreds. <laughs> Darius, Darius, pulls Daniel out of the, and no manner of hurt was found upon him. But notice the reason at the end of verse 23, because he believed his God. Daniel believed in the Lord. And I believe it was the same kind of faith that the three Hebrew boys had, and I'm not going to say their names. Remember, they had the kind of faith that said, you know what, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. And I believe Daniel had that same kind of faith. God can deliver me from the lions, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to stop praying to my God. Verse 24, And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Remember from the story of the three Hebrew boys, which shall remain unnamed. Remember, when they were going to throw them into the fiery furnace, what happened? The fire got them. So what we're seeing here is the outworking of the Abrahamic covenant. Go back to Genesis 12. You see that over and over. What did God say to this old man, Abraham? He said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. May God, may America always stand with Israel. And I'll say that till the day I die. <clears throat> not just because we agree with all their foreign policy and all their domestic policy, but because God has chosen those people and he's made a covenant. He made a promise to Abraham and he's not going to break that promise. And we see the outworking of the Abrahamic covenant here. Now, it seems harsh here 
It says that not only them, but their children and their wives. But, but this was the custom in those days. That, that was a middle, uh, an Eastern custom. And one of the reasons was, uh, you might imagine, that, that if you had killed somebody, put throwing them in the lion's den, that their son or their daughter might be upset that you had done that and might you know, try to form a coup or whatever. So it was, it was a custom to try to get rid of not just one of your enemies, but all the, the, the malcontents, all the discontent. But notice this. It says the lions had mastery of them and all their bones in pieces. That, you know, everything in the Bible is there for a reason. Even their bones were broken in pieces before they even got to the bottom of the den. So, so much for that idea that the lions just weren't hungry. Well, they were just, you know, they were on a diet. Yeah, they were on a diet. They were on a diet of eating sorry, rotten, dirty, rotten scoundrels. That's what was on the menu. <coughs> then uh, Darius. Now, remember, remember when Darius makes a decree, what happens? Can't be changed, can it? Oh, this is good stuff. Then Darius makes a decree. And he says, I notice, I love the verbiage of this. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote unto who? All people, nations, and languages. This is a worldwide decree. That dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree. And by the way, the decree of the king cannot be altered. Is that right? That's right. You didn't say amen, but that's right. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before who? The God of Daniel. He said, I'm off the throne now, guys. God's on the throne. <laughs> the one true God. That was our theme in Bible school this week. By the way, four kids made a profession of faith in Jesus this week. Praise God. And if you get a chance, thank Maddie and Lydia for, for putting this thing together. It was a great vacation Bible school. He is the living God, steadfast forever, and his kingdom, which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be how long? To the end. My goodness. It sounds like Darius is saying that, you know what? God is alive forevermore. It wouldn't surprise me to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven, and guess who else it wouldn't surprise me to see in heaven? Gabaru, Darius. That's right. I'm not saying he is, but I'm saying this is the kind of liturgy you would expect maybe from King David or Moses or somebody, worshiping the living God. He delivers and rescues, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth, and who he hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amazing. Here, Daniel is 80-some-odd years old, but he's the same Daniel that we found in chapter 1. He's the same guy. He, I would to God that we all finish well. Are you living for God the same way you did 10 years ago? Hopefully your, your devotion has strengthened in God. Daniel continues to prosper. Let's go to the next slide. Now this is some cool stuff here. Whenever we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we're looking for Jesus. Because Jesus is all in the Old Testament. Let's look at the types and parallels. Uh, if you were in the adult Bible class this week in VBS, you know Brother Willie taught about Joseph. And there's so many marvelous parallels between Joseph and Jesus Christ. Same is true of Daniel. Joseph and Daniel are both men in whom there was no fault found in these guys. 
and they were both uh, appointed places in, in government. Daniel's an innocent man, falsely accused. Does that sound like somebody you know? Jesus Christ. No fault is found in Daniel. What did, the, what did Pilate say? Pilate examined Jesus, and he said, I find no fault in him. Daniel is handed over because of envy. The Bible says that Pilate knew that for envy they had handed him over. The chief priest and the elders had delivered Jesus over to him. Darius tries to deliver him unsuccessfully. How many times did Pilate try to wash his hands? You know, he's, and even his wife, Pilate's wife said, don't have anything to do with this guy. I've had dreams about him. I've been tormented. But Pilate ultimately was not able to, was he? Because the angry crowd was chanting, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. It's the same way these kids were chanting Thursday night. They wanted me to get a pie in the face. They said, we want Henry. We want Henry. We want Henry. Uh, Daniel's lowered into the grave. Now here, here the lion's den is idiomatic of, of a grave. It's, it's a type and a shadow. Um, much, much in the same way Isaac was received back to life on Mount Moriah. His death was, idiot, it was idiomatic of his death and resurrection. The book of Hebrews teaches us that. Daniel's lowered into the grave and the stone is sealed. If you remember, Jesus Christ is put in the grave. And what happened? Pilate had the seal placed upon the tomb. King rises early on the third day. Jesus rose on the third day. And in our story, only really three days have transpired. The day of the decree, the day that Daniel prays, and then the third day when he comes out of the pit. Uh, enemies are thrown into the pit and the bones crushed. And the Bible says that the implication here is that none of Daniel's bones were broken. What do we know about our Messiah? Our Passover lamb. Not a bone of him shall be broken. The enemies are thrown into the pit. Judas went out and hung himself. You know, when the devil's through with you, you're expendable to him. Don't ever make a deal with him because you don't mean anything to him. Uh, after Daniel emerges from the grave, the message goes out to all the nations. After Jesus Christ rises from the dead, what does Jesus say? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Praise God. The Bible's rich, isn't it? This is a, this is a document that, that's written by someone outside of time and space. It is written with a finger of God. There's no way that any human being could have concocted all of this in their mind. No way. Let's go to the last slide. And then we're going to celebrate Independence Day. We're celebrating it right now. What does all this mean for us? Well, you and I, we, meant, we never, may never be thrown into a pit of hungry lions. But the Bible says we will face fiery trials. Notice three times Peter makes an allusion. And I believe he was heavily influenced by this story of Daniel here. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 6 and 8, and chapter 4, verses 12 and 19, he speaks of our faith being tried by fire. No doubt this is an allusion to the three Hebrew boys. And then he says in chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, he says that we have an adversary and that he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is rich imagery from, I believe, that Peter's borrowing from Daniel. This is why we read Daniel. It's not just because it's a great children's story. It's because you and I are going to face problems in our life. We are going to face adversity, and it's going to come in various forms. We may never face a hostile government, but I believe if Jesus tarries, we will. If Jesus tarries, I believe that, hey, if you knew some of the, the legislation that they're trying to get pushed through, it would, it would make the hair stand on the back of your neck. Our neighbors to the north are already giving way to this junk. 
They've been arresting pastors in Canada for holding outdoor services. You say, well, that could never happen here. Oh, really? Oh, really? In one hour, in one hour, our whole nation changed, didn't it? In one hour, September the 11th, we all came to our knees. In one hour, last March, COVID brought this whole thing to a standstill. Whole thing to a standstill. And you say, well, I think this could never happen here. Oh, yes, it could. It could happen real quick. If you've got a majority of people who don't believe that, that the Bible is the word of God. And by the way, the majority of the people in Congress probably don't. They would think nothing of passing a law to make it illegal to preach the Bible. To preach against sexual immorality. To preach against plural, pluralism and all the other junk. You better be holding on to God. But if we develop holy habits, we can have peace even while the lions roar around us. Daniel was not moved in a crisis. You know why? Because he had lived his life in such a way that this was really just another day for him. He had already seen God move time and time again. He had been taken down and brought back into power. He had seen uh, the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace and come out again. He had seen all of these things. He had seen empires rise and fall. And here he is still uh, coming up to the top. And he had developed holy habits. What do we also learn? Well, if what I said comes to pass and the laws of man come against the laws of God, we do have a higher authority. And Peter, Peter and the apostles faced this in the book of Acts. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. Do you think God loved Peter, James, and John? I think he did. They were some of his best friends while he was on the earth. But you know what those three men had to go through? They had their government telling them, you can't teach or preach anymore in the name of Jesus. That can happen here too, folks. I don't want it to. I'm praying that it doesn't. And you know, the only way that it won't happen is if people like us stand up and let our voices be heard. And we call our congressmen, and we call our senators, and we call our legislators, and we say, if you vote for this junk, we won't vote for you. That's the only way we'll see change. The only way we'll see change is if Christians get on the school board. You don't want critical race theory and evolution taught in your schools? Get some Christians on the school board. We've got to become active in society. We don't withdraw. Finally, when we are confronted with circumstances that uh, we can't control, that are beyond our understanding, we have to understand and realize that ultimately God is in control. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. You and I need to memorize Romans chapter 8, especially the latter part of it. The, the chapter begins, there's therefore now no condemnation, and then it ends with these words, there's therefore now no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not things present nor things to come, nor principalities or powers. No created thing shall separate us from the love of God. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. That's Romans 11. There's a curious scripture in Deuteronomy 29. I want you to turn there really quick and then we'll close. Deuteronomy 29. This is a gem that's tucked away at the end of the Torah. And you would do well to memorize this verse. I heard a man 
preach a sermon one time, and I, I've made reference to it. The, name, the title of the sermon is this, Don't Go to Hell Over a Mystery. There's a lot of folks who are angry of God because of things they don't understand. I'm going to tell you this, there's a lot of things that I don't understand. I don't understand why a, a child uh, is awaiting a heart transplant. You know, we, we're praying for this young man, Braxton. I don't understand that. I, I don't understand uh, a single mother of three kids that gets cancer, you know, and, and is dying. I don't understand those kind of things. And so it's best when you and I are called to minister to those who are in tough situations that we don't just come in and offer a bunch of scripture out of context because truly you, you don't know what people are going through. You don't understand. It's hard to understand. Are you there in Deuteronomy 29? Verse 29, the Bible says this, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Here's what it, let me paraphrase this. There are some things in this life that you and I will never understand. God may not tell us why, why this happened. Why, why, why me? Why did I get this diagnosis and not somebody else? Why, why is my child away from God? I was talking to a pastor the other day, and he said, I feel like such a failure. He said, my, my son is an atheist. And he brought him up. How do you explain those things? You can't explain those things other than uh, the devil is alive and well, and he, he's fighting uh, the people of God. But there's things that we can't understand. Good godly people suffering. Some of the most cruel disease. How do you explain a cruel disease like ALS? I, it's just, it's cruel, isn't it? And Alzheimer's and dementia, all of these things. There's no explanation for these things. But the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Daniel, God could have, he could have caused Daniel to bypass that whole lion's den escapade, couldn't he? What, what if Darius had simply said, hey, Daniel, are you on board with this? If he'd have just said that, that whole, this whole story wouldn't be in the Bible, would it? Because it would have been nixed. Because Darius had respect for Daniel. But God allowed Daniel to go through that. God allowed the three Hebrew boys to be placed in the fiery furnace. We don't know why. Other than this, we know ultimately everything in our life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it is intended for our good and for the glory of God. Would you stand? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to face a fate far worse than the lion's den. The Bible says that there's going to be a great white throne judgment and all those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be cast into the lake of fire. There's going to be a resurrection for everybody. There's a resurrection of the just for those that know the Lord. They'll be raised to life. But those that don't know Christ, those that have rejected His offer of salvation, they will be resurrected, but it'll be a resurrection of damnation. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. And there won't be any bargaining. There won't be any decrees to be made other than depart from me. I never knew you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is standing here with outstretched arms. And he says, I love you. I gave my life for you. I died on the cross for you. And I rose again the third day. And if you will put your faith in me, if you will receive me as Lord, I will not cast you out. Maybe you're a believer here today. You're in the fiery furnace or you feel like you're in the lion's den. You wonder how you're going to make it out. Maybe you've been losing some sleep. But God wants to tell you today that even if you're in the lion's den, God's there with you. God will send the angel to be with you and the Lord himself will be with you. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Would you come?
blessed be the name of the Lord. I hope you have a blessed Independence Day. I don't call it the 4th of July. I call it the Independence Day. This is a great birthday of our nation. We can celebrate the freedoms that have been given to us by our Creator God. They are given to us by God. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to have a deacons meeting a week from Thursday. Not this Thursday, but a week from Thursday. As you're leaving here, take a look at our steeple. We've been got the steeple clean all the way up to the top of the cross there. Things gleaming, look, looking nice. So, so have, have a look at that on the way out today. I just I love you. I appreciate you. And I hope that you celebrate this day and remember that God is indeed the creator and the sustainer of life. My preacher Larry Allen, if you'll close us in prayer.